Hello, and welcome back to Loading Screen, a podcast where we discuss various gaming phenomena. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Reza, and I'm joined by Tristan. Hello. So over the last episode, we talked a little bit about what the perception of video games has been historically. In that episode, we dove a bit deeper into some of the ways that people outside of gaming can perceive the hobby as a whole. And I think what we wanted to do as our focus for this episode was build on top of that foundation and really take a like a more gamer perspective on what we think of those perceptions. You know, are they valid? Are they not valid? And other things that are valid, like what could we be doing to cope with the some of those negative effects of gaming? So I think just as like a super quick recap of what we talked about in the last episode, I wanted to call out like some of the uh, you know stereotypes or, or perceptions that non-gamers can sometimes have of gaming. I think the first one that's come up the most historically for people that are very removed from gaming is this notion that video games can somehow promote violence. In the last episode, we talked about how in the 1990s, there was even Senate hearings that discussed how we should be regulating video games to make sure that violence isn't necessarily something that's exposed to the wrong audience, which is pretty interesting. We've kind of evolved since then, but this idea that like video games can promote violence as a first solution to problems in life has been around for quite some time, I would say. I think the second one, which is much more common now, and is one that I personally not necessarily been accused of, but have heard, is this idea that it breeds laziness or that it's like a waste of time, right? Like, I think some folks, especially in the older population that just didn't grow up with video games, view it based on the second part of that sentence, which is games, mm-hmm. right? And they just think games are for kids. There isn't necessarily anything too productive about this compared to other hobbies like writing or reading or, or drawing or sports. I think compared to a lot of those other hobbies, they think that that video games are like a waste of time or that if you do it too much, then it's going to just turn you into someone that's like overall kind of. And I think the next one is probably uh, also a bit more well known around this idea that video games make you anti-social, right? Mm-hmm. Like people have this picture of a gamer just sitting in the darkness of his room with up with like the only light source being the monitor staring back at him at four in the morning with red bull beside him and this idea that like you're just like not actually interacting with people and all you're really doing is playing by yourself and that over time just can make you like a bit of an antisocial person if that makes sense and then i think the last one which i'll talk about is that they're addictive right and i think there's definitely a perception that video games compared to other hobbies are things that are like harder to get out of and that there's a lot of traits of video games that make them uniquely addictive i think this one's actually one of the really interesting ones because it's one of the criticisms that's probably most valid, but we'll dive into that a little bit over the next two portions of the podcast. But yeah, wanted to give you guys just a quick recap of those kings. So, so Trista, did you have any thoughts before we maybe dove into some of the cons of video gaming that like we think are like actually valid or not? Um, I feel like, I mean, right before the recording, we were just talking about how I've been playing so much teamfight tactics. <laughs> and I, I feel like three of the, the points that you brought up being a waste of time making you antisocial because TFT is usually a single player game and addict maybe fits into it. So now I'm more self-aware and self-conscious. <laughs> we, we go into the cons, but yeah, that, that was the only comment that I had. No, I think it's really interesting how even as people that pretty actively participate in games on like a very regular level, like we still hold these perceptions sometimes mm-hmm. of, of gamers. And if we hold these perceptions, then it's only natural that people who aren't gamers, who aren't exposed to this stuff on a regular basis are going to hold some of these misconceptions on what video gamers are actually like and some of like the cons and pros of playing video games. I think in the next part of the podcast, what we want to do is break down some of the actual cons that I think Tristan and I have actively observed in the gaming community and in the population that that, like really like to play video games a lot of the things that we labeled prior to this around like promoting violence or laziness those are like pretty active stereotypes but i think the issue is that a lot of those things can distract from some of the very real problems that are actually present in the video gaming community slash the hobby of video games and i think the first of this which is actually discussed pretty heavily and has been improved and sometimes but still could be improved on is like the lack of representation of minorities and women in video games. Yeah, I was thinking about this for a second. I wonder how this even started. I feel like this is almost like a STEM thing, but were games like a male pro- male dominated activity in the past? You mean like prior to the advent of like video games even? Yeah, I, this is I don't mean this as a meme, but like <laughs> Uh, you know what I got to bring up, right? Like, yeah. if we're thinking about Pong, Pong <laughs> is not a gendered video game. <gasps> no, it's certainly not. No. 
<gasps> I think that's a really good question. I think what it really comes down to is less in the initial stages of video games and mm -hmm. more around when video games actually became mature and more readily yeah. accessible to the population. We'll talk about this a little bit, but I sometimes I wonder whether it's a bit of like perception feeds the reality, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know where the perception began, but I think to some degree, the fact that video games are perceived as being like a male only hobby or perceived as being this like toxic activity can sometimes just push away people that don't belong to that population. And I wonder like sometimes whether it feeds itself a lot of the times. Yeah, I feel like maybe think about last episode, we talked about Mortal Kombat and what was the other game that Doom? Yeah. Like those maybe geared towards males. I actually think that like, the biggest factor around this is most likely the fact that the people actually making most of these games are men. And so mm -hmm. naturally, they cater to the audience that they themselves were, right? Yeah. I don't know if video games were initially seen as a thing that everyone would get into. I'm sure you could find articles talking about how they're just a fad and that they'll move along. I remember reading this thing about how the internet was a fad. So I'm like, old grandma wrote into a newspaper saying she didn't think the internet was going to last. And I'm sure that was like a similar phenomenon with video games, right? And so like at the initial stages of video games, the people making these were men. Right. And so yeah. it naturally makes sense that they were like, who's going to play this? It's going to be people like us. And so we're going to mm -hmm. naturally tailor it to that audience, which is why you see even games that did have women like Tomb Raider were like comically sexualized. Right. Yeah. Like, like you'd have polygons where it was just like triangles for breath. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> is this really necessary? Like, this isn't, this isn't doing anything for anyone, but it is so reductive to like what <laughs> women are. It's just, it's hilarious looking back at it. I mean, that that stuff has been happening even recently. I remember uh, Ubisoft or Square Enix made like a public statement on why they don't want to have like female main characters in their video games. Do you remember this? I do not remember this. They were basically saying it's like it's harder to render and oh it takes God. up more processing power to, to render. I kid you not. I can look up that exact article for you. But like this is a thing. Yeah, I'm seeing there was a controversy back in 2014 where in an interview with Polygon, the creative director for Ubisoft claimed that there was no playable female models in Assassin's Creed Unity because yeah. of the fact that it took too much additional work to support. Right. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> not so Square Enix, Ubisoft, which I guess goes along with some of the other bad things that they do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like some groups in the industry have try to make improvements in this area without much success. And I frame it like that because the biggest difference that I see in terms of gender equality is when it comes to esports and gaming. I don't know if you follow much esports. And dolls but like all esports is basically like 98% male. I don't know if you can like I, I've definitely seen videos of it and it looks like that, right? And it feeds into the stereotype of the gamer that's just like staring at a screen and obsessively right. playing video games. What's interesting is I don't think that definitely doesn't match up with the actual demographics of what percentage of gamers are men and what percentage of our gamers are women. Yeah, and I don't, I haven't done enough research to understand why that is the case, but I feel like there's been several attempts for different gaming organizations to bring in female only teams, which has backfired spectacularly, not because of their skill, but they try to sell it as, oh, we're the one and only female gaming team. Yeah, because it makes literally no sense to have female and male separated esports. Right. There's, there's no difference in skill between men and women when it comes to video games. Yeah. So I don't know what it is. Um, it, I, it's like stuck in the culture to some extent at this point. I would agree. And I think it I think it actually goes back to some of the problems in the community. This is the next point I, I think like we should talk about is around like abuse and toxicity in the community, right? And I think like it it's more prevalent within the population of people that are hyper competitive about these kinds of video games. I There's like a common joke, which is a really dark joke around women playing COD or something. And the instant that they speak up on, on voice chat, they just start getting abused or like hit on. And I think that like um, the toxicity that female players uh, experience in the social realm of video games is significantly higher than anything men experience, obviously. Even though the ratio of video gamers is like fairly 50 to 50, which is pretty interesting. 
the thing I wanted to talk more about was like whether it's actually improved. Like I, I think there's like two components of it, right? The first is I actually think the industry as a whole is making pretty good steps toward making improvements here. I think a lot of recent games have had at the least like pretty prominent female protagonists. And it goes beyond just like having female protagonists, right? Like more representation of LGBTQ characters, people of color. I think like the people of color one is the one that it's, that still needs the most improvement for some reason. I don't know why this is the one that I feel like I don't see as much improvement on in comparison to the others yet. But there has been progress in my mind over the last six years, even in the way that like video games address diversity in, in, in their characters. Do you have examples? I think like two of the most prominent games in the last like, what, four or five years are like The Last of Us and Horizon Zero Dawn, right? Uh, uh, the Last of Us went from having a like a rugged old white male as a character, which uh -huh. don't get me wrong. I love Joel. He's a fantastic <laughs> character. Don't get me wrong. Not saying Joel is a bad character or that we shouldn't have had that. But I think it was an active decision on their end to shift the focus from Joel to Ellie being being like the primary character in the second right. game. And it's not just Ellie, right? Like the primary antagonist is also a female and they have representation beyond just oh it's like a white woman they, they it's like lgbtq characters they even feature uh a, a trans character like mm -hmm. i think that game and, and we can talk about the backlash that game got as a result of some of these decisions but it arguably was one of the most significant games to come out in the last decade um and the fact that it featured such diversity in its characters is i think a pretty sol solid sentiment to the fact that games are becoming more open to like diversity and how they represent i don't know but push back if you think this is like inaccurate no i think you're right i think the scope of the games you're thinking about are usually like single player games right i'm thinking about games like rainbow six siege or yeah. league of legends but even then, I feel like there's a good balance of female and male representation. And I feel like game developers have gone to great lengths to detail the background of these characters much more so than the past. For example, it was Pride Pride Month in June. And in League of Legends, they celebrate Pride Month by there's like little icons and emotes that they give away. And then this year, they also share post like a story about how there's a gay couple between two male characters which 10 years ago would not have happened yeah so, no, definitely not yeah i think the i'm gonna bring this way back to season one of loading screen when we talked to <laughs> rocket adrift i think that's their name the studio but it's not i think the biggest change is that it's not just indie studios that are trying to do this it's like the big AAA studios that are doing this as well, which yeah. is a good change. Yeah, I think the other notable example, ironically, is actually Assassin's Creed, because it's funny that we talked earlier about how the creative director said that female models are like more difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. But in recent games, they've made it so that it's perfectly playable between a male character and a female character. And there's no notable change to the plot. It's not like an actual, I don't know if there's a good thing or a bad thing, but there's no like acknowledgement of the fact that like the genders are changing but it's just like a nice simple way to to represent the fact that if you want to play as a woman in these games then you can't you should be able to there's no reason why the primary protagonist in every video game should be a male i think there's some rumors that something similar is also going to happen with the next gta or that it's just straight up going to be like a female protagonist which is pretty cool call of duty i think also has been featuring more female characters in it right like it's you have more optionality now than you did 10 years ago when although no one's really looking at character models in call of duty <laughs> <laughs> are you sure it's like you, you don't you want to buy your favorite skin yeah but like you see the other person for half a second before you immediately begin shooting at them so like, i think compared to every other game out there trying to have mm -hmm. skins and call of duty is hilarious to me because i don't know yeah but anyways i think the like broader point that we're trying to make here i think is that as an industry i actually think the studios are making pretty good progress in terms of making sure representation in video games has gotten better whether this is like an ethical decision or whether it's a business decision because of the fact that people are just more aware of these things is i don't know it's kind oh, it's of 100 business yeah, decision probably, i like to hope that it's yeah. still like a decision from like creative directors being like we should improve this and you know what maybe it's fine if it's a business decision because you still have a good outcome but Overall, I think we are seeing some improvement here since like the original conception. What I do think is the most interesting thing, though, is how gamers and the gaming community have reacted to that. And I think this goes back a little bit to our points about like abuse and toxicity in the gaming community. So I think we've talked a lot about how this is prevalent for for women in the communities, right? Esports is one example. Playing mm -hmm. online games is another example. 
the like third point that we that I think I'd like to dive into is the reaction of gamers to the increase in representation in 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 video games. I think the most unfortunate thing is there's like whether it's a very vocal minority or whether it's a very vocal majority. I don't know. I think it's probably a very vocal minority, but there's still a very, a very, very vocal, a very yeah, to the yeah. point where they push the narrative so significantly that it defines a narrative for a lot of games. Like the best example of this, I'll come back to again, is The Last of Us Part. Yeah. Um, that game made some very controversial decisions for a lot of folks, and the vocal minority that did not like those changes was so vocal that to date any mention of The Last of Us Part Two is mm-hmm. plagued with discussions about how it's too woke or Neil Druckmann is actually Neil Wokeman. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like so dumb. But I like the reaction that gamers had to the fact that this game uh, took a more controversial approach changed the main protagonist to be focused on a different character, that it had very yeah. clear themes motivated by like wanting greater representation in video games, really pissed off a ton of people for some reason. I don't understand how these decision points, sure, they could affect the story, but they don't affect the gameplay in any shape or form. Unless, unless you're making like an adult game, if, if you catch my drift. Like, <laughs> no, I mean... Yeah, transparent here. Like, Sims. I past dating Sims, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they have no gameplay impact. No, not at all. And the fact that these people care so much about what they're seeing on screen just like confuses confuses me. Yeah, I think the saddest thing for me is I feel like people and like I love The Last of Us Part One, and I think it had some very beautiful storytelling, very beautiful messaging. And mm-hmm. it's just so funny to me how the population of people that hated The Last of Us Part 2 loved The Last of Us Part 1 for the wrong reasons altogether. Like they look at Joel, who is a very flawed character and does some really horrible things to protect Ellie. And I think they almost worship this like dynamic of an older male that's like taking care of uh, like oh. uh, like a woman and are, yeah. are like is like willing to do anything to the extent oh, God. of protecting that woman. And they like like they love that dynamic. And the fact that it's not present in The Last of Us Part Two is genuinely probably one of the major factors for why they don't like that game. They're like, oh, why would you kill this character? I just wanted to play as Joel and kill a bunch of people again. And like, why like? It's just frustrating that like you can't even take away the main points of the game without having it like influence like the future game purely because of the gender and like the sexuality of the characters that are in the game. It's really frustrating. Is this like a Joker moment? Like people really like Joker, the character, in the Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix version, but they don't really understand why. Yeah. I could talk about that movie for ages because I, I think it's so funny. I Yeah, I agree. And I actually, I'm really curious like what Neil Druckmann and the creators of The Last of Us think of this because I'm sure they know that it's there and I'm sure they've discussed this in the past. I once joked that I think a lot of gamers lack reading comprehension. It's like, I think that's true, sadly. Like people just play these games and don't actually get what the point of the video game is. And it doesn't, it like manifests in some really horrible ways for some of them. Mm-hmm. I think the, the other point where like, toxicity and abuse come into play we talked about like the online gaming community and it's present for women in particular but it's definitely there in general i think you have a lot more experience with online gaming slash like yeah can you talk about this for us yeah i mean well i i think this is a question you'll ask later but i feel like the factor of anonymity has facilitated the ease of abuse and toxicity without any cause consequences yeah to the point where it's like just expected. I've played a lot of Dota. I've played a lot of League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Valorant. Basically the cream of the crop when it comes to toxic video gaming culture. And I feel like it's just expected. Something yeah. goes wrong, you just yell at that person. Why the whatever, go kill yourself. I hope your mother dies, uh, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. May- maybe they sense like a little accent in your voice and they're like, hope you get deported. Yeah. Hope your parents get deported. So it's it's like a very natural part of the gameplay experience, which <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but like- I, it's, it's, like, such a, it's such a elegant way of framing it. It's a natural part of the gameplay experience. It, <laughs> is getting yelled at and abused for your yeah. race and for everything else about you. Like, Going back to the video games desensitize you, I think that's part of it, right? Like maybe the first few years I was thinking, oh my God, what the hell's going on? But now it's just, yep. I, like I was playing TFT the other week and I 
got a build that was popular. It does really well. And I, somebody literally told me to kill myself. Oh my God. And I'm like, we're playing a strategy game, yeah, right? Yeah. We don't have to get this angry. And I feel like the issue is a lot of the game, these games are free, right? Yeah. And most teenagers or preteens, they will play games that are free because they don't have the financial income to, to be able to afford paid games. And then they get desensitized and exposed to this at an early age. And they think that this type of behavior is normal. So it, it just like feeds into itself at some point. No, that's a really great point. I, I hadn't really mentally tied it back to the idea that it like desensitizes. I still wonder whether it's like greater than the average population, because I would argue that you actually see, I think in general, we as a people are being exposed to more abuse and toxicity from just the platforms that we use on a daily basis, right? Like yeah. Twitter, ha Twitter has a very significant problem with it. We both work there. You work there. I work there in the past. Reddit is, Reddit definitely <laughs> has a problem with abuse and toxicity. TikTok most recently, I feel like the number of, I don't know what they're called, talks. I don't know what they're called. Like videos that pop up on my, I is there like a name for what a TikTok uh, video is called? I have no idea. Is it Instagram Shorts. Reels? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, the number of talks that pop up on my feed that are sometimes the only reason why they're viral is because people in the comments are bullying that person. It's like a very common phenomenon. I guess my point is, I don't know whether the exposure to video game abuse is higher than the average population. I would wager that it is because it's such a concentrated population of people. But it is, it's something to watch out for if like your kids are playing video games, frankly. Like if my kids play video games, hands down, I will be there at least in their like 13, 14 ages to make sure that they're not pulling crap like that. Cause it's just unacceptable. And it, it is really, it is scary to think of exposing your kids to this kind of stuff on a very easy basis. Yeah. Just don't let them play online games. I think that's, <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, yeah, no, yeah. It's like a, it's a very real problem. The number of times I have heard the N word in counter CSGO recently like in the past year is a little too much yeah yeah uh, because think, it's above zero <laughs> yeah i this is the thing i can't figure out is does the game like why does gaming as a hobby attract this population in, in particular i think this is a question we'll talk about more in the future later in this episode but mm -hmm. it just seems like there's so i don't know if the percent if like we perceive it as being a bigger problem than it is or if it genuinely is that as a base as like a base of gamers, there's just a greater population of people that are just like, okay with violence that are okay with like abuse and like verbally being mean to people or if we just perceive it as such because it's such a vocal minority of people. I don't know. Here's the thing. Like, I feel like this is a causation versus correlation type of issue, if that's yeah. even the right term to use of not all gamers are racist. Yes, but racists may be more inclined to play games because I don't know. <laughs> this is gonna sound really bad and i'm not trying to stereotype but let's say racists tend to like guns more and if you like guns you may be inclined to play shooting games a lot more yeah so even if 10 percent of the player base in csgo is racist in a given lobby there are 10 people that means one person out of that 10 people will be racist and these are such extreme behavioral acts that it will seem it draws uh, attention naturally you're gonna uh, notice it no matter how often it happens whether it's right. less or not yeah yeah i think the other thing that you might, might have touched upon is like uh, or a little earlier is like the perception feeds itself right mm -hmm. if you belong to this population of like teens that are angry about things already in your life yeah. and you think that oh video gamers if i play this video game it's already so common for people to do this behavior it's fine for me to do it as well and it just starts feeding itself over time yeah. similarly to the way that like like this might be genuinely one of the reasons why esport games is so skewed to the male population as you watch an esport game it's largely male and you just women just don't feel like they belong in that community and so like yeah. over time the barrier to entry from a cultural perspective just gets higher and higher because you have a whole backlog of like years of only males doing this. And the same thing happens with games, right? If you think that it's acceptable in this community to act this way and you want to act this way because of frustrations in your real life, you're drawn to this community. But then naturally more people go there and then it becomes a more prevalent part of the community, which is it's yeah, it's sad, honestly. And I think the barrier to entry for, let's say, bad actors. Right, is much yeah. lower. And the consequences are close to none, right? Like yeah. if you, if you want to just make another account for the free game that you're playing and just be racist on there, 
Yeah. You might get a timeout, right? If you type this stuff, you'll definitely get banned. I, I think a lot of games have implemented that now, mm-hmm. but they don't catch your voice chats. There's a lot of stuff and yeah. I don't know what happens to the reports. And even if you do get banned, you just create another account, right? What is the equivalent of that in real life? You're going to go to your uh, archery meetup and be racist (laughs) at the archery range, right? Like, Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think and moderation is a really hard problem. This is like a whole other topic altogether is like how Mm -hmm. how video games have tried to handle this. I know recently, is it Mojang that made Minecraft? I don't know the exact company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mojang implemented a like a report system whereby you can report people for being abusive or being toxic, et cetera. And if, if Mojang wants to ban you, then you're banned from the game altogether. You're banned from private servers. You're banned from public servers. You're yeah. banned, like no matter who reported you or like what the circumstances of it are, if they deem the, the ban valid, then like you're banned altogether. And the gaming population really did not like this. They were like, if I say something or do something in a private server and I get banned for some reason on that private server, why should I be banned on like every other platform? And question number one, what are you doing on the private server? Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, let's just relax now. Frankly, like, I don't think most people are like, the other thing is Mojang is taking a a manual moderation approach with this. So they genuinely intend on manually reviewing every single report and Mm -hmm. then evaluating whether or not to do that ban. That is how they contend with people abusing the abuse report system right Mm. but that's also just not scalable right minecraft is literally one of the most popular games uh, (laughs) right now if not ever made right and so i'm like the number of reports it's either going to be that you have a ton of false negatives where you uh what's it called you just say no to a bunch of things or like the time to actually act on an abuse report is going to be forever and it's like not even it's not even implementable, right? I don't know. It is a hard problem for video games, but I think the industry is thinking through it and trying to figure out a way to make it systemic rather than just something that's moderated at a cultural level by the players themselves. I I agree. And I think we're still in the growing pains of figuring that out because like another example that I will bring up here is the fact that in VR chat, have you heard about this controversy? Like VR chat banned all mods. Yeah, yeah, I heard about this. And the issue is that some of these mods are for accessibility reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe somebody has like lower motor skills, whatever. Yeah. So it banned like a huge chunk of their population yeah, yeah. from even accessing their games. So I feel like there are some challenges that we're still trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. It's really unfortunate that like the actions of a very vocal minority and like, maybe, again, maybe it's not actually the vocal minority, maybe it's a vocal majority, but it's nonetheless having an impact on like the good actors, right? Yeah. It's the people that just want to play games, the people that just want to meet people and have fun and relax. That experience is like, just ruined because of these people, whether it's one in 10 or five in 10 or seven mm-hmm. in 10, the community is affected by it, right? And yeah. as a hobby, it is, I agree with your point. Like, if I had kids, I don't know if I'd want them to play online games as a teen. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to stop them altogether, but I would be genuinely concerned about it because I don't know who they're going to meet. I don't know what they're going to say. Can't moderate it all the time. And that's sad, like, because there's a lot of benefits to this community at the same time. We'll talk about this later, but communities can be really beautiful. I, there's as many tales of gamers coming together to help out people, which is like really nice. But the attention drawn to that is destroyed because of the bad actors. Cool. I think we've talked a lot about minorities, abuse towards everyone, the problems in the community. I think we've covered some of the major cons that relate to the community around abuse and toxicity, the lack of representation in gaming. The next one that we kind of want to talk about is one that is becoming a bigger problem, I think, in our minds because of recent changes to the industry overall that facilitate the addictiveness of video games much more than I think uh, the, it did in the past. Not even f- facilitates, incentivizes. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think, I, I don't know who said this. I think this was one of the tech companies, Netflix, maybe, that where they're like competing for not your TV, but like your free time or something like that. Yeah. Like gaming is the same thing. There's so many games out there that everyone wants like a piece of your free time. And that has devolved into creating the most addictive gameplay loop. Yeah, totally. There's also the fact that like the business model for video games is is changing right now before our very eyes. Like yeah. historically, it's been very focused on I buy this game, I own it, and it's cool. I own this. And the money made from that is that like effective one-time purchase of the video game. And like maybe you have some additional revenue from DLC 
or like skins in the game or something like that, purely cosmetic based. I think we've gone from that to a much more live service model, right? And in this model, games are a lot of the times are free and the money is made from the whales, right? You have this like long tail of customers where most people aren't actually going to spend money on the game, like Destiny 2 or Fortnite or something like that. Most of the, I'm never going to spend money on those games, but I'm still going to have uh, fun. I'll yeah. still be like, but there's a segment of customers, which is highly profitable that are spending like more than thousands of dollars on these games per month. And these, uh, the industries and studios are fundamentally incentivized to convert as many people as po possible into that audience. Mm -hmm. which Tristan belongs to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, when you said I would never spend money on Fortnite, I actually just spent $20 on for Fortnite oh two days ago. Oh my God, Tristan, I, you just I, turned 30. You're too old to be spending I money on Fortnite. I just wanted the Ant-Man skin, okay? Oh my God, dude. Why do you do this? What do you get out of it? What makes you do this? And do you think A the game's incentive? A sense of fulfillement in my life, Raza. <laughs> I have nothing else to live. No, I'm just kidding. $20 uh, on an Ant-Man costume? I, I think part of it is I want to have a unique identity. I guess unique in this sense is unique to every other person that bought the Ant-Man skin. But if I'm going to be spending time in this game and I'm going to be looking at my character, I think it's like the reverse of what we're talking about with Call of Duty, right? If you buy a skin in Call of Duty, you're going to be looking at your character for X amount of time while you're playing this thing. Yeah. It might as well be something you, you think is cool to look at, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but you're saying... Wait, sorry. Are you saying that in these new games, other people are looking at you? And so... No, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at me okay. as Ant-Man. So if I'm going to be spending X amount of hours looking at my own character, and there's an option to make the character look cool or something I enjoy looking at, yeah, then I will... It's 20 bucks. Right? I think the thing is, like, that the for that like mindset to, to exist, like, Video gamers have to play these games for a long time, right? You're not going to play Fortnite for an hour or like just a day or two days to get value out of that. You're going to yeah. have to play this game for a while for a significant portion of time to, for it to actually even matter enough to you to spend 20 bucks on, on, yeah. on a virtual skin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think the drive for that is like potentially dangerous for the industry, right? What we're seeing is video games making mechanics decisions, which just naturally incentivizes you to like come back to play more, to be like rewarded for that like high that you get from yeah. a very big reward that you can only achieve in like a short period of time. Oh my God. Or like battle passes. Yeah, this is a great point. Yeah, because like battle passes, if you don't know what these are, God bless your soul. Like you have somehow avoided the worst sin of the video <laughs> gaming industry. But like you gain points by playing the um, And as you get more points or experience points usually you level up and every time you level up you get like a little microtransaction item out of it right like it's sometimes an emote it's sometimes in-game currency and then at the end of the battle pass usually like level 100 or god knows how long you get this like really cool skin and you can only get it from the battle pass so if you have the skin everyone knows that you spent 100 hours playing it or spent 30 dollars to level up the battle pass and i think the issue is there, there is this like feeling of FOMO that they introduce because a battle pass doesn't last forever. You yeah. have to play it within two months or three months or however long they decide to make it. Yeah. So it's even if you're not addicted to the game, it's like this forcing function for you to come back so you can unlock this cool thing that will be never be obtainable ever again. Yeah. The other thing they do oftentimes is make certain milestones in that battle pass free. Yeah. And so you see your progress across this battle pass, regardless of whether or not you paid for it, right? Like they, they show you, oh, you could have gotten this if you'd paid this much money, yeah. or you could have gotten this if, if you just played one more game or two more games. And the fact that like it's becoming monetary is, is really dangerous because I don't think Tristan is irresponsible, right? I don't think you're going to go spend <laughs> like tens of thousands of dollars on these games, but there are people who do that. There are people who get so hooked in these games that they will spend insane amounts of money on them. And it's just harmful. I don't yeah. think we should be incentivizing this kind of behavior. It should like, come with a warning. It yeah, it absolutely should come with a warning. And I think we need regulation for this, <laughs> frankly. I, I, don't I think know the that's EU is trying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's also just becoming like more and more complicated too. I think it started with the battle pass, but now the thing that's becoming more and more common is like the gotcha gaming model. And gotcha gaming was very popular in the East for a long time, but now it's, I think it's coming over to the Western markets in a very prevalent ways. 
like most popular game that I can think of that's doing this is like Genshin Impact, which for those of you who don't know, Genshin Impact is like a free to play open world game where you like play a character and you just like explore the world, beat monsters and like level up. The thing with with Genshin Impact is you can have multiple characters and they regularly release new characters with like unique play sets and, and, and unique moves. But the yeah. only way to get these characters is by by gambling, frank, frankly. That, that's what it is, right? Like you, you collect points, you spend those points to open a box and th- you are guaranteed to get 10 items in the box, but you have a one in a million chance of getting this like single character. And they give you these points to open boxes by naturally playing, but the yeah, map, but it's like you need to impossible. spend 5,000 hours playing it. Exactly. Yeah, they do this math. I've actually, I, I did research for a gambling company when I was in an undergrad and like desperate for work. And like, I saw the Excel sheets that they have for like how they dish out these free rewards and how they try to incentivize you to get to certain markers and milestones. And it's insane how complicated they get. And for companies like Genshin Impact, which is massively profitable, Genshin Impact made $576 million, $567 million in Q1 of 2022. And so, yeah, multiply that by four, you get some like very big numbers. So it's like massively profitable and it just incentivizes you more and more to, to spend money. I think the real reason why this is the most harmful is that it's so accessible to children. Like it, exactly as Tristan said, it's free to play all the time. Yeah. And like, the gameplay is fun. It looks innocuous when you're playing the game. It doesn't look like it's a gambling game. It doesn't look like it's trying to, there's no visual way for a parent to even tell that a game like this is like mm-hmm. going to potentially get your kid to spend money or get hooked on that, that like risk reward factor because of the fact that it's, there's no labeling, there's no nothing related to these games. And so it's super easy for like kids to get hooked into this stuff at a very early age and then translate that to actual gambling in real life or spend right. way too much time playing this game and get yeah it's just it's really harmful frankly yeah they don't even know what's happening i think that's the problem yeah kids <laughs> don't know what gambling is they don't know what right? addiction is they're just kids they're just kids if i go to the casino it's an active decision that i'm making but a yeah. child buying loot boxes on fortnite yeah doesn't know what's happening and it's gated right it's gated on age it's gated on location it's a yep. highly regulated market. But you yep. can't just open a casino. You have to get a license. And casino like, for children. That's yeah, my just... next business venture. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of this episode. It's Casino for Children is basically what some games are like turning into, frankly. It's really harmful. I think the other thing that scares me a lot about this is we talked a little bit in the last episode about streamer culture, right? Mm-hmm. We, we talked about how gaming and observing gamers is becoming much more popular nowadays, right? Like with the advent of Twitch and the fact that it's pretty, it's seen as a very reasonable thing for people to do is just watch streamers and play. But yeah, going uh, back to like free time component, it is a totally valid option to spend your free time watching streamers. Yeah, yeah. But I think the problem is, and I'm sure you can talk about this, Tristan, is like the fact that some streamers are now getting into gambling and they're getting into like, uh, uh, and these streamers often have very young populations and they're just like showing these kids like how to get into gambling and they're paid by the gambling company the money to spend on their gambling app. And there's no real loss or risk from that person, mm-hmm. but they just get to show all the highs, all the wins that they get from this experience for very little. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen this? Like, what are some like, oh, moments I've seen, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think XQC, so he's a prof- he used to be a professional Overwatch player. He's just a variety streamer now. But he, I think, I honestly think he's addicted to gambling. But he does gambling streams, I would say, like once every week or once every two weeks. Where oh he just God. plays the slot machine. And it's like excessive amounts too, right? Like, yeah. all right, Raza, if I say, hey, let's go to Vegas, right? Yeah. How much money, wh- what would be your budget for the slot machine? <laughs> I don't know. Hundred like, bucks, probably. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. This streamer is dropping like fifty k. Oh my god! And Jesus of course, at, at scale at that scale, you're bound to win, right? Yeah. If you have fifty thousand pulls, you're gonna win some. So I, I think it promotes gambling in a very unhealthy way. Because yeah. like, I don't know how much income the average Twitch watcher makes, but. I don't think they should be taking 50K anything, oh. even if it's gambling or stock market or whatever. No. And I think the disclaimer is way too little, right? Like yeah. they put hashtag sponsored in their title and that's about it. 
Yeah, and I think like Twitch is working on this. Like I think, I can't remember, but you might not be able to have ads on your stream if you are streaming gambling and stuff like that. I think the thing is, it's not clear cut what is gambling and what isn't, right? Like sometimes it is straightforward gambling, in which case, cool, you have some minor intervention that likely isn't that successful and you still have kids watching someone like gamble and make a lot of money off it. But mm. then you also have streamers that are just streaming gotcha game and I have streamers that are streaming like Genshin Impact or yeah. streaming anything else. And so like the population of people exposed to these harmful tactics isn't just the gamers. It's the people watching the gamers as well, which then gets even larger. And I'm sure there's an overlap between that population for sure, but it doesn't negate the fact that like the people who might not have the money to afford a gaming console or might not afford, to, might not have the money to like have a PC to play games on, they can still access these things mm -hmm. and potentially get hooked on that risk reward addiction in a very detrimental way. Yep, I agree with you. So I think like we, we talked about the, I think the three major, very valid criticisms of the gaming hobby, lack of representation for minorities and women, abuse and toxicity. We talked a lot about add uh, addictiveness and how the, the gaming model as a whole is shifting to facilitate, or as Tristan said, encourage some very negative behaviors. I yep. guess my question for you, Tristan, is like, do you think there's anything inherent to the form of video games that uniquely facilitates a lot of the things that we just talked about? Or do you think these are problems that are prevalent in like other hobbies as well? And mm -hmm. the attention that we draw to these things is like maybe not warranted compared to a lot of the other things that are out there. Yeah, I brought this up earlier, but I think the biggest factor is the fact that everyone's anonymous and there's very yeah. little consequences to bad behavior, right? I'm going to bring up another real life example. Let's say you go, you, you go to a hiking club meetup and you decide to be an asshole there. You're probably just going to get banned <laughs> and uh, people might recognize you from outside the club. And yeah. there's going to be all this, like your tie, it's tied, your behavior is tied to your identity. Yeah. Whereas in gaming, since everything's anonymous, there's no way it's very unlikely that you'll be receiving consequences for your actions. Yeah, I buy that. I do think though that there's nothing about that anonymity that uniquely facilitates negativity behaviors, right? Because you could still be anonymously beneficial. There's people that do this too, right? Like I, the Elden Ring community, there's folks that have just like been helping people in the game for literally no, no reason other than to help them. There's one guy who has helped more than, I don't know, several thousand players beat certain bosses. There's people that like anonymously help people. I guess then the problem is, is it anonymity that facilitates like people being being negative or is it anonymity in video games that inherently facilitates like i don't think it facilitates it i think it draws bad actors in much more yeah, if you're gonna solid. be an asshole your choices are do it in real person or in real life or on the internet yeah and if the consequences of the latter is zero then you know you, you should you, someone's gonna pick that yeah, I will say, I think, like, I wonder what the overlap is between people who are casually abusive on like social media and video games is. I actually think there's a greater percentage of people who are casually abusive and toxic on social media, even regardless of anonymity than in video games, right? Like, huh. I think, I, and like, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think uh, when people are toxic or abusive in video games, it is very vocal and very toxic and very abusive. But on other platforms, I think there's like a lot of casual toxicity and like bullying that's just looked over and isn't perceived nearly as much as like video game. I don't know if that's necessarily better or if that's worse or what it is, but I think it is good to call out like the fact that abuse and toxicity between the different like forums available are it's like pretty distinct. What is a casual toxicity? Like for example, on Twitter, right? Like I've regularly seen stuff go viral that's like pretty abusive or like pretty toxic but it's viral because it's funny and it's just perceived as such because it's fine. It's almost seen as like it's fine because of the fact that it's comedic or funny. The same thing mm -hmm. happens on TikTok, like I talked about, right? Like I, I see a lot of TikToks that go viral because the comments are doing nothing but insulting or, or making jokes about the creator's weight, the creator's race or something like that. And it's for some reason, it's just like socially more acceptable on those platforms for to come across this. Whereas in like games, if you're like cool, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here. But I feel like in general, it's like, this isn't okay. Like you can't go around spewing the F word. You can't go around spewing the N word. You yeah. can't tell people to kill themselves and end their lives. Like you can't do that because the, the level of abuse and level of toxicity is so much more direct than it is in like other forms. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
but maybe I'm wrong. What do I know? I'm not an expert. I think the other thing that like facilitates some of the other stuff is the fact that video games is like fundamentally more active, right? Yeah. Like, I think this goes back to the addictiveness slash like gambling point, probably more than any others. But I guess for the abuse slash like representation front, you just get more invested in these things than maybe you do in reading or like watching movies, frankly, just because it's like a more active mm, process. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? I don't know. Like, I feel like Lord of the Ring fans Good can point. be pretty... <laughs> They're passionate. Well, I won't say crazy. They're pa- yeah, passionate, as you say. I do think it definitely applies to the addictiveness factor, though, right? Because you're, like, actually playing. You're actually experiencing those, like, highs and lows when it comes to gambling slash, mm-hmm. like, the wins. And I think compared to some of the other stuff, the potential for exposing yourself to unhealthy addiction is much higher with video games than it is with, like, reading or, like, doing art or sports or something like that. Cool. I think that kind of closes that off in terms of breaking down a lot of the cons of video games, unless there's anything else that you add that that you wanted to add or talk about. No, we briefly want to go over the cons of video games and (laughs) spent an hour. Uh, Oh, my God. That about wraps it up. Yeah. Oh, wow. We really did spend a long time on that. Okay. We talked a lot about the cons, but Mm -hmm. Tristan and I are gamers. So obviously we love this hobby. Like we're, we are maybe a little addicted to it, but we love it. And I think there's a reason for why we love it. And I want to step away from a lot of those like very valid criticisms and cons of the gaming industry and talk about what perceptions are totally invalid slash like what are the actual pros of video games? And maybe we can dive into that. I think the first one that comes to mind for me ironically, is actually supportive communities. Like, I think there's definitely a problem with abuse and toxicity in video games and video game communities. But I think similar to the way that sports facilitate, like, this notion of, like, people working together and being Mm -hmm. collaborative, when done well and when not exposed to that abuse and toxicity, I think video games uniquely can give kids, in particular, like, a really rewarding experience. And it can, like, genuinely give good skills for just, like, playing with friends, learning how to, like, actually have conversations and call each other out. Games are becoming more strategic nowadays sometimes as well. And so it can be fun to watch kids talk through the things that they're playing and be like constructive and and critical about the approaches that they take in video games. And I think it's like a pretty unique thing to video games, right? Reading is often not a social thing. Art is often not a social thing. Watching movies or watching TVs is often not a social thing. The act itself, right? Yeah. Like, you know, book clubs and movie clubs don't count as much. Yeah. And like you... Most people that engage in reading are not going to like book clubs. It's not a necessary part of that experience. Right. But I think for video games, especially the most popular ones, which kids are probably the ones that like kids are going to engage with the most, you have to be social. You have to play with other people. And I think there's a lot of really good games that are changing the mechanics and like changing the gameplay model to facilitate this like collaboration. I think a great example of this, what's that mining game, Tristan? Uh, Minecraft? No, not mine. <laughs> Deep Rock Galactic. Yes, Deep Rock Galactic. Okay. The other, the more popular mining game, of course. Okay. Uh, I, I saw a really great uh, post on Reddit where this person broke down all the ways that the gaming mechanics themselves like facilitated supportive gaming and like collaboration, right? They have like classes that are very good at being what they are. You have the fact that you can communicate non-verbally because verbally... People tried to spew things and be like negative. And I just wonder whether there is a world where if designed well, like we could literally use video games as a way to teach kids how to be more collaborative and teach kids to to work well with others and like communicate and work towards a goal. I don't know. Maybe I'm too optimistic, but I think there's a ton of potential with that. Yeah, I feel like especially if you steer clear of the mainstream, mainstream games, a lot of the communities tend to be supportive. It's like that saying of don't be embarrassed to go to the gym, right? Because the two groups of people there, one don't care about you and the other group are there to get fit themselves. And if you ask someone at the gym, hey, how do you do this thing? No one's going to call you out and be an asshole about it. And I feel like a lot of the smaller, like small to mid-sized game communities are like this too, right? They want to see their player base grow because that means there'll be more people to play with and hang out with and interact with. So they are super receptive of newbies. They want to help them get better. And it's like a very welcoming environment. Um, and I've seen that a lot over the years. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think the the bigger takeaway for that is like when games are initially coming out, the way that the communities form in those initial stages can really inform the way that the community as a whole kind of shapes itself, right? If a game comes out and the community is super supportive and the people that are most active in that community are always helping other people, 
naturally the people that join that community over time are going to act the same way. Whereas in other games, if the most vocal people and the most successful people are the ones that are negative and abusive and toxic. It just feeds itself, right? And like, it's going to attract more and more people like that and push away anyone that has a good intentions. I guess the key here is like overall, like the industry has an obligation, I think, to find ways to make more supportive communities in video games and have done well, they can have really great consequences for kids and for like people overall. Yeah. And I feel like there's been a rise in the prominence of community managers in video games. A very good example is probably the Fall Guys Twitter account, right? I'm sure they have a Discord server too, but like yeah. making these official venues where players are supposed to come and interact and talk with each other. Like for example, I'm in the Team Fight Tactics Discord server. And if I have a question about how these things interact with each other, I'll ask there and somebody will answer me. It's not Twitch chat where they will flame me the instant <laughs> I drop a question, but people are genuinely supportive. And I feel like developers have opted to basically create these official channels themselves versus waiting for the grassroots groups to pop up. Yeah, totally. I also think similar to movies and like books, the fact that you have a shared experience with someone else about like through playing a video game, I think that alone is also just like another pro, right? And this isn't unique to video games. This isn't, it's only there for video games, but like the number of times I've met someone and we realize we're both like really into video games and like we talk about the games that we love. We talk about the, like if we shared a love for the similar game, there's like a conversation that kind of happens there. I think I worry sometimes that people think you don't get that with video games. I think it's just this one-off thing where you're isolated and you like only really play with yourself and that's that. But like at the end of the day, this is one, it's becoming more common. And two, you and I alone have spent multiple months just dedicating a podcast, like talking about this. Yeah. Not because we want like a, like millions of listeners, but because it's fun. We play like, what? Nice. Okay. I mean, yeah, we want listeners. But I think. You and I enjoy this a lot. I yeah. feel like I've experienced that with other people when I talk about The Last of Us, when I talk about Elden Ring, all those kind of games. I don't know. I, I think it's an underrated part of playing video games. Yeah, that, that follow-up. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think the next one kind of builds on it. It's like social skills, like if done well, you can really teach some kids like like some great skills with just like how to interact with people. The next one I think is more personal to me as well as just personal benefits, right? The things that come to mind to me are around like problem solving slash like creativity. There's like a ton of active research being done about this. So don't quote me. I'm not a researcher. Uh, I studied business at undergrad, so I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I feel like the form of video games naturally facilitates like very creative thinking sometimes for kids, especially in like good video games, right? You're not just passively like watching a movie or like passively like watching a TV show. Reading is obviously like a pretty active act, but at the end of the day, like you're perceiving something, right? Like yeah. it's not, it's very different from video games where you're acting on, you're acting all the time, right? Like you're deciding what to do. You have to figure out the puzzle. If you can't beat an enemy, you have to like think of a creative way to do. If you're working with a team, you have to figure out how to like collaboratively work together to achieve some goal, right? And like, it's underrated, but you're using your brain <laughs> through that entire process, right? There's, it's genuinely both rewarding to figure out a way around some challenge, but it's also just, I think, arguably like good for kids to have that mental practice of, okay, how do I get this to work? Like, how do I do this? How can I be creative about figuring out how to solve this problem? Even if, if it's something as simple as feeding a boss. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you already said this, it's more of an active experience. Even the most passive video games like Death Stranding require yeah. you to do some thinking and make some decisions. There, there's decision-making at the end of the day. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And I think, again, if tapped into, maybe this isn't done as best as like it could be, but if tapped into, there's a lot of potential here. I think the really cool thing is I feel like I've seen a lot of examples of ed tech companies or just like education companies in general, take gaming mechanics slash like gaming fundamentals and like applying them to education slash like mm -hmm. teaching. And it's really cool. It's just gamification, right? And like when you gamify things, people are just naturally more invested in it. They, you know why? Why? Because it's more addictive. <laughs> I'm serious. No, you're right. You see the points and achievements yeah. and all these things. Yeah. But if that addiction is like for a good thing, is that uh -huh. necessarily wrong? <gasps> I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. You and I are hooked. So maybe it's not a good thing. You're spending money on Fortnite skins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's Ant-Man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like literally uh, I, not even a good Marvel character either. This is the wow. funniest thing. Okay, we're going to have that argument in this episode. I love Ant-Man, but still. Uh-huh. He's a smart man. He has a master's degree in electrical <laughs> engineering. What was I going to say? I think too much of any good thing is always bad, but I just wanted to bring it back. Of It's a very fine line. I agree gamification yeah. of positive actions is a good thing because it's like, if you gamify eating your vegetables, yeah, sure, that's great for children. <laughs> but it, we're it's anti-venom, right? Yeah. Venom is really bad, but if you tweak it the right way, it's it can be used for good. I feel like that's where gamification is standing. Video games are like venom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally bad for you, but if you tweak them, it's, it, it's, could be it good. saves your life, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I want to talk about motor skills because... Going back to the perception that video games are for lazy people, they don't move around, it's what's causing obesity in, in, in America and across the world. I wanted to just be clear that, especially with the advent of virtual reality, I feel like video games have taken more on a more of a physical aspect, even starting from... Nope, that has nothing to do with motor skills. I'm going to swap the points and talk about health <laughs> benefits. So from a health benefits point of view, it's like, it's really changed. Like you've seen DDR in the past, right? If yeah. you go to an arcade, I don't know if you've seen that game where it's, it's like this like semicircle that envelopes around you and there's like little dots with lights. And yeah. when the lights turn on, you got to press the buttons. That's I'm a video horrible, game kind I'm of, horrible right? at it. I'm also very bad at it. And I feel like going back to VR again, you're physically moving. So the arguments against why don't you just play a sport versus playing video games, that gap has been closing a lot with a lot of the changes that have been happening. Yeah, it's definitely not a one-to-one, -one, but I think there is like a lot of potential. I remember even with Wii U, uh, or not Wii U, with Wii U is trash, but the Wii. <laughs> Wii Sports. Yeah, yeah, Wii Sports. And I think some people were even using the Wii and literally like physical therapy. Like there was a ways to like, I don't know. It was more active. It's pretty interesting to see what's possible here. I guess it goes back to the gamification thing. Like you can make these things that are not most, not the most fun thing in the world sometimes to be like mm. naturally rewarding. And it's cool to see how people are being creative with a lot of these things. Yeah. I think the motor skills one is like super valid, right? Like reaction time is like pretty underrated, but you have to be super reactive in video games a lot of the times, especially if you're yeah. playing a lot of these FPSs, like to be good. Your ability to realize something and immediately act on it. That's like a very tangible, I'm horrible at reaction time. I could see a ball coming at me and just stand for two seconds. And I wish maybe if I played more video games as a kid, that would be different. More shooting games. <laughs> more shooting. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I agree. And you see this people doing in real life sports too. If you watch F1 racers tend to do like reaction time exercises because yeah. they need to make like quick turns and react to things on the road and things like that. And yeah, I agree with you. Like shooting games or even racing games, I guess the same thing as F1 racing, but really require you to practice your motor skills. I remember when I was really deep into playing competitive shooters, I would wake up in the morning and I would literally practice my aim and reaction speed <gasps> wow. for 30 minutes. Oh my God, up. that's crazy. Yeah, there's aim lab on, on Steam, right? You can just like practice. I'm horrible with keyboard and mouse. There's no way I'm ever going to be good with it. So I, I would do that every morning to to exercise, question mark, I don't know, <laughs> exercise. Like warm up. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I think the last one that we want to talk about is probably like the most ambiguous one, but it's the fact that it's like a very different art form than a lot of the things that are more readily available, right? We talk about this a lot, but it, it's active, right? Like yeah. you, you play a part in what happens and that naturally means that it has like a unique ability to like connect with messages connect with stories and share something and convey something which is more difficult in, in, in like other art forms i don't know i think like we are, we're at the very beginning of video games being like a storytelling mechanism right like last of us god of war stuff like that they're they're like very new the indie I, I think like the indie scene has also been like very creative in finding ways to like tell really beautiful stories with like limited graphics and stuff like that but i think it's just cool to see how the industry is finding ways to like tell stories with this art form that isn't the same as like uh like a cinematic video game or it isn't the same as like a movie or isn't the same as a tv show and like this is what i'm the most excited about when it comes to video games honestly like i think i have fun with video games there but at the end of the day, the reason why I play a lot of them is frankly just because I like the story. Like I like what I walk away with 
And it's really cool when you're able to see that happen with things that are artistically limited or done it with like limited resources or aren't that technically complicated. I don't know. I think there's something unique about this art form to be able to do that compared to, to other things. And I would really hate if this continues to be as like vilified or perceived as negatively as it like currently is sometimes. Just because it, this is cool. I think kids should experience it at, at least like a little bit. Yeah, and I think the difference between movies and books and games are the fact that games, like movies, in terms of like how much you want to get involved in the story, the world, blah, 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 is limited to that version, let's say version, right? Whatever's on the screen is basically it. Whereas I feel games have the freedom and agency for developers to put in as much details as they want. And the gamers also have the freedom to dig in as much as they want. So Elden Ring is a good example of if I played Elden Ring, to be honest, I would skip over every single book and whatever lore that they put in. I just want to hit things with my sword. Whereas I know some folks, Dark Souls fans or Elden Ring fans, they really want to understand the entire lore, like the backstory story for all the bosses and what's going on. So I think that amount of freedom also allows devs to really put their heart and soul into it, which creates very rich experiences for gamers who want to get it all. The other really cool thing is when the modding community is able to like build on top of like an initial video game. I think the best example of this was a video game that was originally modded into Skyrim and did so well that it was then built into a whole separate other video game. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. The Forgotten City uh, was a Skyrim mod that basically took the Skyrim fundamentals and then turned it into a more concrete story. And then it was so successful later on that the people that worked on it just decided to build a whole game dedicated around it. And it was, it was like really well respected. Like I think people enjoyed it a lot. I think it was a creative and it was done relatively well. And I think it's really cool that you can take something that was made by developers, but then build on top of it and have like even more unique experience. It's like this evolving art form that yeah. the only like thing I can mo even moderately compare it to ironically is I don't know fan fiction or something. I guess the worst example it, of this it, is the fact that like Fifty Shades of Grey is supposed to be a version of Twilight. Wait, is that real? Is that yeah, true? Yeah, oh. Fifty Shades of Grey was originally a Twilight fan fiction, and then it got turned into a series of books. The potential for that is much higher in video games. Not that mm -hmm. saying I want a Fifty Shades of Grey video game. But. <laughs> you heard it, folks. Get on it. Yeah, and I think it's because like all the engines and underlying assets is so readily available. If you want to make a fan movie of John Wick, like what are you going to do? Hire Keanu Reeves yourself, right? Like yeah. the barrier to entry there is so high, whereas making a mod or like changing some game logic is so much easier to do. Yeah, I think even like on the creation side is the bar for what's possible with one person that wants to create a video game, I think is so high. I've seen some really amazing games that are developed by a single person with beautiful art and beautiful animations. And it's just impressive like what you can do. I think that's significantly harder for other mediums. Like you can write a story to totally valid. I think like something like movies or TV shows just naturally involves more people, right? It's just significantly harder. I think as a game, as a career path or like a, like an art form, it'd be really interesting to see how like people explore this in the future. Anything else you want to interested? I was going to talk about how video games and its surrounding communities can facilitate much more than the games themselves. Right. Like a lot of what I've done because of gaming wasn't even about the games per se mm -hmm. or like the act of gaming, like yeah. being a tournament organizer. Uh, yes, that has to do with games because I'm organizing <laughs> game tournaments, but I'm not playing the games. I'm learning about how to manage large groups of people, make rules, make sure I'm not scamming anyone. Or like I managed a like a guild or a clan multiple times before. So understanding how to set a mission and strategy for your guild. <laughs> for your very, engineering team. Yeah, for your engineering <laughs> team. Or like even this podcast, I've learned how to do audio editing and mastering yeah. and all that, which is outside the act of gaming at this point. And I, yeah. I feel like it's a good gateway to do different things. Yeah, and I think that's true for every other hobby. But what's cool, the problem is I think I don't think people perceive it that way, right? This goes back to the perception of games being this isolated thing. But mm -hmm. video games are no different than anything else, right? Like if you care about art, if you care about art, if you care about film, you engage in things beyond just that art form. And yeah. the same is true for video games, right? There's nothing stopping 
you from doing exactly what Tristan has done and going down the rabbit hole <laughs> and like making a bunch of friends who are into gamers. And yeah, I don't know. I think we just don't want games to be seen as like this isolated thing that you only do by yourself. There's a lot of potential for this to be like a super social thing, even mm-hmm. outside of the gaming activity. I agree. So Tristan and I just spent an hour talking about the bad parts of video games and <laughs> 20 minutes talking about the good parts of video games. <laughs> So the <laughs> natural you know. takeaway is don't play video games because they're evil for you. No, I, I think taking a step back, like the real reason why we decided to make this episode was just because I think there's so much opportunity for this art form to really grow over the next like 10, 15, 20 years. And we want as many people as possible to engage with it. Like yeah, I, I we think get a I'm, nice commission out of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I wish. But like a, a lot of the cons that we called out are very valid criticism, right? There is a problem with representation. There is a problem with abuse and toxicity. There's mm-hmm. a problem with the way that like the gaming industry is moving forward when it comes to addictiveness and gambling. But those things are not set in stone. And I think it'll be a continuous process to improve on it, to change it. And I think the community is going to be an active part in making sure all of these kind of play, actually play out, right? Speaking about about, about representation, speaking up about like toxicity and abuse, pushing back against addictive gaming tactics. Like I think it's going to be an active process, but we wouldn't want people to miss out on the pros of video games about meeting people that and sharing like a very unique experience with them. Like yeah. personal benefits of a kid playing with their friends. There's some really beautiful moments that this hobby has given me, and I'm sure it's given Tristan as well. And we just want people to like remember that when they're deciding whether this is for them or not. So yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining us. So we'll be going back to concepting and deciding what we want to do next. So thanks so much for joining us over the last couple episodes, y'all. Take care. Thanks for listening.